So we teach people about all things crypto. We do a lot of stuff like what is Uniswap, how to get your first NFT, which exchange is the cheapest for you. So we're in a business of education and resource and people do what they will with the information that we provide them. That's the inspiration behind Chain Debrief. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the premier podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. I'm Bernard Leong, and the crypto bloodbath happened in a fast and furious manner over the past week, the collapse of Terra Stablecoin UST last week. So with me today, I have Jackie Yap, founder of Chain Debrief, a crypto media company, to have a discussion on what is happening on the Web3 space. And truth be told, I am an investor of Chain Debrief through Sharon Paul leading the syndicate of investors. Jackie, welcome on the podcast. It is long overdue, but we are going to have one of the most exciting weeks for crypto in the next weeks to come. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here finally to talk about what's happening in the space and generally to talk about whatever you need to know, whatever your audience need to know as well. I also know that although the recording will be come out in a few days later, this evening we are going to be chairing a call on Terra USD and you're bringing in all the developers of the Terra blockchain into a Twitter space called this evening. I think it's not really uh, the developers in the, the Terra space. I think it's more of like a uh, market participant. So we're quite excited to host Darius from QCP Capital. They actually invested in Terra in their seed round. The other person we have is uh, Daryl or Wangarian. He's actually quite an expert on layer ones as well. We're quite excited to host him. Last but not least, we have Tascha. She's quite well known in the space in terms of like fundamentals and tokenomics. So I think tonight we're going to discuss us about again same thing as we're discussing here right what's happening in the space how do we move forward as an industry and how to position ourselves in this bear market right so yeah yeah but before we get to the most interesting part of the conversation as a first time guest on this podcast we dive into your origin story so how did you start your career well, well, I mean, for me is I actually started, my background is actually in media. So I started as an intern at E27. Uh, well, that was back in 2011, 2012. I was writing there. I was a senior writer over there. I was there for about two years, three years. And then after that, I left. After I left, I was doing business development for a mobile company. Back then, it's for this mobile company in Singapore called Popcorn. At the site, while well, I was doing BD for the mobile company, right? And then I started to want to write again. That's where I started to write my first article on Vulcan Post. This was back in 2013. As I wrote, having a full-time job at Popcorn, right? Every day I was looking forward to going home to write articles. And then every day afterward, I would just go home and write. I tell myself I need to write at least two articles per day so that our our followers they they follow what we were doing and they just expect something to be published on VP lah, Vulcan Post lah. And then after a couple of months, and I just felt like it wasn't fair to my boss back then. And I just tell him like, hey, he knew about uh, Vulcan Post then, and he was okay with it, right? Because it's a it's a, a nighttime psychic for me, right? And I told him like, I, I don't think it's fair for you. My heart's not here. And then I say like, I want to do full-time on Falcon Post. That's how I started and then I grow it and I'm still running it right now. So that was a little bit of my background and over the last one, two years, while planning for Vulcan Post, the content direction and, and, and looking at where the opportunity is, uh, Web3 and crypto sort of stood up 
to me as we were planning for uh, 2021. So then I told the team and I said, hey guys, Web3 is actually so many use cases, a lot of smart teams are building great products there. In a lot of innovations are moving there, not just in, in the Web3 space, but also institutions, S&P 500 companies, everyone is trying to move into that space. And I say we have to jump onto that space. Lah. And I told the Welcome Post team that, hey, we need to do something in that space. So we started covering uh, local startups in the Web3 space on Vulcan Post. But then on Vulcan Post, it couldn't really capture the ambition that I have for the crypto space, right? Because for Vulcan Post, it was very clear to me that we're only covering local news and we are also only covering local startups and, and documenting that journey, right? And hence, we started a Change Debrief. This was in uh, May last year. So I published the first article on Change Debrief and then we continued to build the team and then we continued to build the community. We launched our products, NFTs, and it just sort of happened that way. And then we we, we raised a small round. Uh, thanks for your support. And then we closed the round and now we're still trying to build in the Web3 space. Yeah, that's a, that's a rough whole journey. I should be pretty upfront on this. When the first time you came to me to race for Vulcan Post, I have to turn you down at that point because I haven't got my exit. And I think that was one of my biggest regrets. No, and no, don't worry when, about it. When don't Sharon came it. to me and said, no, the check is here. It's Jackie, right? Yep, I'm on. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, we, I mean, we, we were thankful for the support and it's trying to build. Like, there's so many things to build. And what we're trying to do is basically influence with, with media, trying to build a following. And then after that, with that following, with that influence, share more knowledge and hopefully get more people involved in the Web3 space, right? And I think that's what we're trying to do. Like. Mm, I, I would say that Chain Brief, although it's still at its early stages, but Falcon Post is a pretty well-known media outlet within the ecosystem of the Southeast Asia where you are covering a lot of the companies here. But one thing before we really dive deep into Chain Debrief and all the projects that's coming up and also what is happening recently in the crypto world, throughout your career journey, what are the interesting lessons you can share with my audience? Oh, wow. Because for us, we interview a lot of startups also, right? And I feel like it has to be, one thing is that you cannot stagnate. Once you stagnate, right? And I think everything is going down already. I think there's a there's a quote that says the worst thing of being in a company is basically to stagnate, right? That's even worse than dying. And I think that's something that rings very true to me. Like every year, we need to make sure that we're always launching new stuff, moving forward and learning. And if not, you, you, can, you, you shouldn't launch a company. Like I feel like you should just join another company and help build great stuff. I think that's one. And the second thing is that there's no overnight success. Even when we talk to founders and we interview companies and everything is, you always heard about the glory, the success story behind. It's actually a lot of hard work and I think it's just, there's so many things that it goes behind building great companies. I don't think we're there yet, but we have been interacting with a lot of people. And from what we've learned and understand is there's just so many things that happen behind the scene. You only see the front part on your right. Um, I think that's something that resonates very, very deeply with me. Like for us, even after we raised the round, right, we feel like everything actually just started also. And to me, changing brief is like, I, I'm redoing Vulcan Post all over again. Vulcan Post, I started in 2000. 14, it's almost 10, 8 years already, right? 
And I feel like change your wish to me is another five, 10 year thing. And I'm fully prepared for that. And we just knew outlast everyone. And we just knew build from there. Lo. And I think that's something that, oh, you know, wow, race fun, very, very, sounds like very, very good news. But actually, no, you have to be mentally prepared um, to, to go through all of this. Mm. Which comes to actually the main subject of the day. I want to talk about a couple of things. I think it's going to go in a few areas. I think we're going to talk a little bit about change your brief. We're going to talk about the Enlightened Rats project which I'm really good to be on the Genesis list. And also recently the MetaGem. I was actually at the exhibition yesterday and also the um, crypto crash that just happened. But I'm going to start off with Change Brief. Maybe I think you already alluded very early that you saw an opportunity in the Web3 space, but what is the inspiration behind Change Brief where you write your first article and this is going to be the path that leads to where you want to be? Our first article is actually an article teaching people on how do they transfer their money to fund their FTX account. And I think that speaks volume in terms of the direction that we want to go. When we talk to people, right, why do you not join the Web3 world? What's your challenge? They say, oh, there's so many coins out there. There's so many protocols out there. There's so many scams also. Where do I get started? Or what's the resource that I can go to? And we want to answer that question. Uh, we want to be a go-to platform for all things crypto. How we position ourselves from other media companies is that we don't really do news-related stuff. I mean, we do sometimes, but not 100%. What we want to do is basically how-to resources, what is, so we teach people about all things crypto. We do a lot of stuff like what is Uniswap, how to get your first NFT, which exchange is the cheapest for you. We're not in the business of asking people to buy a certain coin. We're in the business of education and resource and people do what they will with the information that we provide them. That's the inspiration behind Change Brief. And we want people to come into that space and if they need any information and resources, they can read our articles, they can watch our videos, they can join our community and they can interact with all the products that we're building. I think that's the key inspiration behind Change Debrief. Mm. What is the vision and mission for Change Debrief? Actually, this one is a very, very tough question because the way we look at it is that we want to be sort of like a, a help desk for the metaverse. Actually, this doesn't come from me. This one is some, someone when I was explaining all the different various product offerings that we have, right? Someone basically told me, you are the help desk. I'm like, oh, okay. That, so I'm going to steal that line, <laughs> right? So I think that's that line. I think the, the whole idea is really when people want to come into this space, hopefully what we're trying to achieve is they go to change it before. Okay, how do I get started? Or what is the best ABCDE or how to mint my first NFT. That's the, the positioning that we're going towards so right now. So I think if you really need one line, one liner, right, it's basically a help desk, which I don't know whether it's good or bad, but I, I kind of like it, you know, but it, it sort of embodies what we're trying to do every single day in terms of our products, in terms of like the content as well. Everything fits that. Okay. So if I take the help desk uh, metaphor and I stretch it all the way to the endpoint which we know we will never get there but we want to know what great looks like what would that be wow so i think it's a combination of both wiki and udemy so for Ocozera, for the crypto world, right? We, we have sort of like one key product, which we are launching is basically learn, learn and Earn. The whole idea is that, can I read about a particular protocol? Can I watch some video about a particular content? And then I get rewarded for it. So I think that's sort of like a Coursera, Udemy, 
kind of uh, product which we launched. And I think that sort of embodies what we're trying to do in the crypto education space. Mm. I, I think now we have play to earn. We even have like stepping people move to earn. I'm sure yeah. learn to earn is also possible too. Yeah, I mean, the way we look at it is basically uh, Web3 affiliate marketing. And then I think for Web3 protocols, I think it really delivers value to them because um, in, instead of them having to spend digital advertising on Facebook, on Google and whatnot, right? They spend it on learn, uh, learn to earn platform where they acquire users who are actually demonstrated their understanding of their protocol already. Right, and then they get rewarded for uh, participating uh, and learning about the protocol, lah, which I think makes sense, lah, and I think delivers delivers value to the audience, uh, to the protocol, and to us as a platform as well, lah. And I think that's something that we were quite big on as well. Mm. So, who is the audience for Chain Debrief? Is it really for beginners who wants to get an understanding of the education, or maybe someone who's a little bit more savvy, or even to the technical advanced people as well? Wow, this one very clear to us that we're really, really trying to onboard or target the Web 2.5 people. I, I don't think we have ever told anyone that we're experts in this space because it's so hard to be an expert in this space because everything is just, wow, every single day new protocols are launching, this and that is blowing up. But for us, it's really when you come into this space, you need someone to guide you along, ask some basic questions. We want to be that platform for you to come on with this space and you don't feel very overwhelmed with the information that you have, right? So very clear to us, but we're really trying to target the mainstream audience. So some personal finance savvy people who may be interested or they're familiar with equity space in, in the whatnot space, right? And they want to move into the crypto space and we want to be that partner for them. Lah. So I think that's very, very clear to us. What are the products and services provided by Chain Debrief to the customers? I, I know there is the content side of it, mm-hmm. right? There's also videos and then I think there is also like NFTs which are going to come to. How do you summarize that whole portfolio of services that you provide to the audience? Yeah, so for us, it's really about education. Like, I can't emphasize this enough. I think that's something that we, we all really need as well. So our first product is actually an editorial product. So if you go to our website, you'll see a lot of resources on how to and what is the latest protocol and we just explain about it, right? And then we have video podcasts where we talk to experts about uh, what's happening in the space and then we do some explainer videos as well. And then like what I mentioned just now, we have a learn to learn, uh, learn, to earn module as well called uh, Nexus. So changeyourweek.com slash nexus, right? It's basically, if you want to learn in depth more about a, a particular protocol, you go through the different causes, very simple, read some articles, watch some videos, you get rewarded for it. And those are the three key products that we have. But I mean, obviously we have our own communities on Telegram, Discord, Instagram as well. But if you look at everything that we do, all the products that we've launched and we are going to launch are all centered around onboarding people via education and resources. Mm. If I were to double click a little bit onto this, say, for example, I'm a protocol, let's say, for example, the upcoming layer two uh, explosion, say optimism or arbitrum, I could come to you and basically work with you to provide a course for people to onboard into a layer two world. Is that the correct way of thinking about it? Yes, yes, that's absolutely right. So we will come to them and we'll tell them, like, hey, we are quite, we can help you to dissect it such as easy to understand for audience and then we can do it across multiple formats not just articles it can be videos it could be instagram formats right it could be via a workshop so we, we do a lot of like zoom sessions to onboard people as well it's basically helping protocols uh, make their content easy to understand and people can just jump onto the protocol Mm. And it also could be a game service or even all the other things that is going on in the Web3 space, like a DeFi protocol as well. Correct. Correct. So 
I wanted to come to this really interesting project, uh, which is your first NFT collection, uh, Enlightened Rats. One of the things I really enjoyed when, before I even know that you're turning Chain Debrief into an investment, you wrote a very good article about how you, as an NFT buyer, you, you know, you got scammed and then what you learned from it and what are the things you need to look out for. So I think the, that actually gives me a pretty good understanding of how you have been thinking about the NFT space. And when you set up this collection, how did the concept came about? Right. So I think NFT is a very good tool for projects, Web2 or even Web3 and even Web2 companies for them to build their community. And I think that was uh, something that stood out for us because I think everyone needs something to band together on and something to relate to. I mean, so like even for crypto, for example, right? Even it's very split towards you have Bitcoin Maxi, you have ETH, and then you have AVAX versus Luna, all this kind of stuff. But NFT can be that community bonding agent that sort of just connects everyone together. And I think that was very important for us. To us is because we when we build our community, right? And then we were thinking, okay, how do we create NFT or how do we create something such that we reward our users for being for supporting us since the beginning and sticking true with us as we build our products and as we build change debrief, right? And then the NFT collection is that uh, impl- uh manifestation of that how that looks like so we launched an nft collection we launched in february early february this year our community was about i think five thousand to six thousand people i think when we launched we were actually a bit worried whether we will sell out or not whether people support or not so actually we were not that confident we only announced 555 on it so it wasn't really like we were trying to make a lot of money because i mean how much do you make right because five 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 times we were selling at 0.08 eve so that's about what 30 plus or 20 plus E for me. So we, we, we announced a, a small collection because we really want to have that core group of followers that follow through our journey as we grow more. And then we continue to accrue uh, value to all these mini investors like, via our NFT. We launched 550, when we announced 555, and a lot of people say it's too small for collection already. Hence, we after that, we received the feedback and everyone say it's a bit too small because if you think about it, if one person can mint two, right, actually we'll have only 200 plus people that can actually hold a project. And after that, we increase it to 888 law. And I think for the NRATS collection, basically enlightened rats. And the concept behind it is basically we want people to be, it's a symbol of like, I am in the red race in Singapore and that oh, crypto okay. is this way for me to get out of the red race with change debrief right hence enlightened red so 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 let's talk about the, the concept behind it the creative concept behind it and we just we want to let people to know hey you know we we missed the BAYC board already and what we're trying to build over here is hopefully we can get everyone out of the red race via education via the product and we accrue value all the partnerships that we have is all given to our NFT holders and that's how we, we think of the whole collection and hopefully people stick with us as we continue to build I thought the the way how you even induct someone into the community and fair enough I I have been focused a lot on investing in the DeFi Web3 SaaS or metaverse related type of uh, companies but when I I think when I actually go into the enlightened rest did the first mint go through into the how to get into discord how to work through your other NFT collections I learned a lot about what actually it is like to be part of a NFT community. I think a little bit like Kevin Rose, uh, the Proof Collective, for example, trying to accrue value 
on that. And then I started seeing that a lot more that you're actually doing for enlightenment as a chain debrief where you actually start to work with other NFT collections in the marketing. How did those kind of partnerships come about and how do you work with other collections who want to put themselves forward into this community? NFT space actually, um, a lot of projects work with one another to do like whitelist minting and all those kind of stuff. This is very, very common nowadays. So for us is we try to work with all the different projects that are launching. We see if they are, we do basic filters, lah, whether the team is solid and then whether, most importantly, it cannot be a rug project. Lah, although one of the projects that we partner with actually, they, they rug a lot of people. So we, we do a simple test, diptych test. And then after that, we partner with them. And hopefully for our enlightened rats followers are NFT holders right they are able to also participate in other projects though. so I think that's one cross marketing there are also a lot of other forms of projects out there which we haven't really done but we're exploring it could be for example our collection partner with another collection to launch a, a new collection for example which opens up new utility that collectively makes more sense I think that's something that potentially can be something as well there are a lot of other projects out there as well, NFT projects that does like gaming and all those kind of stuff. I think those are a bit too hard. Lah. And what is the mental model for NFT creators before embarking to sell them, say, on a platform such as OpenSea? I mean, working with like a community like yours, right? Allow them to think about distribution, allow them to acquire first users. What What is the mental model that they need to think about? For... NFT creators, it's not like we're selling them on OpenSea, I think. Um, it's more of when... So OpenSea is more aggregator. As long as you're NFT, right, it will automatically aggregate all of the NFTs out there. And then you can actually sell it. Actually, not really sell. Like, actually, it's an open market. So it depends on your community, how much you want, how much they are selling. So we have no control over the floor price or whether anyone wants to sell them. So for any projects, if they really want to launch NFT and if they want to start selling them and build their community, right? I feel like to them, they need to treat it as another startup. Like for me, I feel like NFT collection is another startup, a startup within a startup. So in a way to us, because our collection is 888, right? In a way we have like, our unique holders about 500 plus. In a way, we have like 500 more mini investors. So I feel like any companies or any NFT creators that wants to create the NFT right, has to have this mindset la, that you have to sustain and maintain it. And actually, it's fun to launch and it's easy to launch, right? but it's actually tougher than running a startup to be completely honest. So I think that's something that NFT creators, they have to think harder about la, what happens after they start minting and selling them their NFT. La. Mm. Something along like the lines of how Yuga Labs does it, right? With the Bored Apes and Mutant Ape uh, Yosh Club collection and then subsequently acquiring CryptoPunks asset as well. So one thing I thought would be good to have this conversation is from NRETS, I see the evolution of NFT collections through your channel and now that leads to this uh, MetaJam Asia event and I think you have recently launched an exhibition in Singapore mm -hmm. so I think it's not just over here because one of the interesting things that we actually have was actually a minting of a past right which I which I'm glad that I actually minted a past and this is the first time I actually got an NFT pass to go into an event can you talk about the MetaJam event and also the NFT pass that you created for the audience out there and how do you bring it together? 
For sure. So, so Metagen, I think it's, a bit, it's important for me to set some context as well. Metagen is a NFT exhibition and festival. It's a three-month thing, May, June, and July happening in Singapore. And the core reason why we do Metagen, right, is actually to do, again, education. So if you go to Metagen, what happens is that how we curate the zone, right, is actually three different zones. The first zone is educational. So as you come in, you'll be educated about all things. NFT, you'll see facts about NFT. You will see this whole area where we try to explain what are the utilities of NFTs. So that's the educational zone. And after that, you will go into the exploration zone where we try to showcase different types of NFT, not just JPEGs. We have a fashion NFT, we have gaming NFT, we have music NFT. Everything is in the exploration phase. And then for the second level of Melanjama, it's actually experiential where you can experience interact with some of the installation and their workshops area as well so that's actually just about metagem and for that itself i think what we were trying to do is that we are trying to cater to two different kind of audience the first audience is again the web 2 audience those who have not heard who may have heard of nft and crypto but they're not familiar with it and they ask, how do I get started, right? So we want, these are our target audience and we want them to come to the event to learn about NFT and maybe meet the creators of NFTs in Singapore, for example, and interact with them, we'll learn from one another. So that's the layman and the web two people, which they can just buy a ticket and go into manager, right? Then we have another kind of audience, right? Which is the web three native. So for the web three people, this is why we have the, NFT pass, but the mana gem pass for them, which is essentially the official event NFT. Lah. So once you have the mana pass, right, you can actually have access to the full event. That's number one. Second is that you also have uh, access to all of the workshops that we're organizing. And then at the end of the three months uh, mana gem event, we're also doing a mana gem summit uh, where we're going to invite like three people to talk about Web3 stuff, lah, right? So this is more Web3 DeFi each kind of stuff and basically the event NFT will give you access to the summit itself another thing is that if you're into NFTs you will be very familiar with whitelisting and access to different kind of projects so it was important for us to launch an NFT pass which is the manager NFT so that NFT holders uh, our manager pass holder right they can also have whitelist access to all of the different projects that we're partnering with for manager like for example uh one of our key content partners is actually carafuru they, they are one of the biggest project in indonesia with the nft pass the manager nft event nft right you actually get to raffle in their upcoming mint for example and that's just one out of the 20 to 30 projects that we are giving whitelist access to. Lah. So, it's, so the event NFT is more for the DGEN stuff, more for the NFT natives that understand how all of this works. And how do you see this being scaled across the region? Because one of the things I see in the NFT pass, because I went to do the Web3 part of it, is that it actually has, you're going to start building events across Asia Pacific. So how does that work into that piece got it yeah so for us is we want to bring this experience over across asia hence we call it metagem asia right now we do have partners that want us to bring this again experience over to all these countries already and i think this is not gonna be our only metagem the first edition is in singapore and we'll announce future edition over the next couple of uh, months and that's one second is that um we are also thinking about can we not just limit to 
NFT? Because the current event, one of the feedback that we receive is that it's too NFT focused. Can we do, for example, Metaba- MetaPass X Game 5, for example, or like MetaPass X, I don't know, Gov, Gov Tech, <laughs> or like MetaPass X DBS Crypto Festival and gives you access to all of these events, right? So that's how we're thinking in terms of scaling it locally and also overseas. And then obviously in terms of the installation at the event itself, right? Everything's very fluid. So we can just dismantle it and, and bring all this, ship it across all the different Asia countries. Mm. Before I move away from uh, talking about NFTs into the much more juicy discussion, I wanted to ask you this. So one, one thing about NFTs is that the reason why people assign value is because of provenance. If you think about people who own art collection, mm-hmm. like a, a very well-known art collection from a well-known artist, you attach a value to that, correct? So there, there's kind of two uh, things that happened in the NFT space, which, I, which for one that I always avoid in investing in it unless I know the people involved. So does it mean that I have to be part of a, a well-known community? So that means access is pretty important or the credibility of the artists. And then I think you talk about the the ability of people who could just do rub pulls and scams and etc. How do you think about those two, those two factors in of dealing with NFTs and how should a collector think about it? That's a very, very tough question because... There are two types of NFT collection. The first one is actually the profile pick. So you have a lot of those, uh, your BAYC, your NRES, all those kind of stuff, right? The second type is more of the artsy, the one ones. So that's more subjective, right? So I feel like it depends on which one you're looking at. If you're looking at the, the profile pick, the collection kind, right? Yes, I think you have to see who's the team behind it and whether they are docs or not, whether they have a track record or not, which is why I think Proof Collective, Kevin Rose, everyone buy it because it's Kevin Rose, right? So I think it's important. Then if you're looking at the, the art side, you know, the finances and all those, it's a bit more subjective. It, tomorrow, maybe a group of people will decide that this particular art piece will blow up because a lot of people like it and you cannot really plan for it. So I, I think that that's how I see it and you know, it depends on which one, whether it's the proper pick one, whether it's the art one. But for sure, I think recently, I, I don't know whether you follow the Azuki saga. I think a lot of project nowadays if the founders are not docs right you don't know who's behind it right it's just a very very big red flag and that speaks volume in terms of you really need to follow the team behind it like the artist behind it the the the, who's backing the team every day as more and more projects launch this becomes even more important as we move forward with the nft industry yeah so we come to the biggest subject of the day. So the last week was really tough for all of us, oh, whether you're bad. crypto investor, builders out there. I think one of the things was because of the concept of algorithmic stable coins, and this actually uh, affects the Terra UST lunar ecosystem. Let's talk about the events that have transpired. Maybe can you talk about how did the UST Terra lunar eclipse happen? And it seems to be like a Lehman moment for crypto and how did it all start? and ended up in this state now. Yeah. So I think what really happened, what started everything of it, right, was basically UST started to depack. And when that happened, a lot of people got started to get liquidated. So like, for example, for me, right, and a lot of people like myself, what we do is that on Luna, we will actually deposit our 
Luna as collateral into this protocol called Anchor Protocol. That's right. And Anchor Protocol is basically a savings account for Luna. Okay, and actually it contributes to more than 50% of the TVL in Luna itself. So what happened was that there's a lot of Luna being collateralized on Anchor Protocol. And once you collateralize your Luna in Anchor Protocol already, right, you can actually borrow money and then you earn the 20%, which is what I did. So when, when USD started to depack, a lot of people were liquidated, started to get liquidated. And when the liquidation start, everything was cascading because everyone was trying to withdraw money from Anchor Protocol to repay back their loan. But the thing is that the network was congested and then people could not really repay back their loan. So even if you had money, uh, you couldn't really actually repay back your loan and you will continue to be liquidated. So actually everything cascaded straight away and, and it just caused the whole thing Luna to crash from was $60. It crashed all the way to $30. And then the network was congested and you can't even do anything. And then because the network was congested, right? Everyone was trying to move asset out and trying to save their Luna and whatnot, right? And you couldn't do anything. And it continued to wind down, triggering more liquidation. And then everything just went you know, the first day was minus 50%. The second day was minus 90%. And then everything just went down and there was no saving it. And so Luna and UST, both of them are actually tied together uh, through an algorithm. To repack it, you need to mint more Luna. Hence, what they were trying to do was that they, they passed a proposal to allow even more printing of Luna to re restore the pack of UST, but then couldn't because a lot of people were trying to sell UST to get out of the system. So then they were trying to print more money, print more Luna to save UST, but a lot of people were still trying to let go of UST. So UST was, could not go back to $1, which is the original pack. And the mass printing of Luna then crashes the price of Luna even more. And it's worth less than, I don't know how to even pronounce it. I think it's about 0 0.0002 cents at the moment. Yeah. But, but that, that is interesting because that, and it also intersected with the curve program from a three pool to a four pool as well. And that was also part of the reason why the liquidity cascade should also happening at the same time. I think it's a mere bad luck. It's like a perfect storm for them, basically. Yeah, actually for that, I, I never really follow the whole three pool, four pool thing because it was a bit too confusing for me already. Now, I mean, uh, that should have served as a, as a top signal, right? Or like get out of this whole thing. I, I think they didn't foresee the three pool, four pool because I follow the curve protocol and the curve was pretty mm -hmm. much because I, I look at DeFi protocols to invest. But one thing I was definitely on the record and i have said it in the the, the master classes i taught in xa and also recently in insignia i am totally not a fan of algo stablecoin so i stayed out of wonderland i stayed out of luna and um the reason is because i've seen it, uh, algorithmic stablecoins fail many years i think mark cuban has done a project called titan mm -hmm. uh, it crash and burn uh, i think the basis cash as well i think the question really because i think there's some more first principles is, is a situation where they were trying to print up more money like a fiat and then they and it just couldn't because everybody's trying to throw away their usd at the same time 
is 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 that kind of situation. So it's almost working like a fiat, which quite against the crypto laws of Web three, right? Decentralized, no central authority. So one thing I I just couldn't understand. I mean, why did crypto hedge funds or even early stage investors willing to invest in a project like Terra? Wow, right. I think this is my opinion. The whole thesis of a decentralized stablecoin is very appealing. And I think we all agree that we need it, right? No one controls it and it's purely decentralized. And I think anyone, this is not a new thing. Like every other quarter or year, there'll be a new project to say, I'm going to launch a new decentralized stablecoin, right? And I think people see the, the use case of it and, and, and the appeal of it. Lah. And I think that's one. The second is that institutions and funds, they're still investing in Terra. And I think also because the founder behind it is very outspoken and they, the whole ecosystem actually was thriving. There are a lot of builders in it, total value lock in terms of like funds moving in the whole Terra ecosystem it was very healthy. It was growing as well. And it almost, you know, there, there was a popular term, like they say Luna is too big to fail already and it will just continue to grow. I mean, yes, it can grow very big, assuming all of the fees and the, the hue, everything becomes sustainable. I think when they designed it, it wasn't sustainable because they were promising 20%, right? You on the anchor protocol, right? It wasn't sustainable, but it was more of a means for them to get more people into the, the whole ecosystem such that when it grows very, very big, right? And then the economics will figure itself out. It's the same as Web2 companies, right? Your Grab, your all those companies, they are burning money to reach a scale. When, it reach, when you reach the scale already, right? Then economies of scale will come in. So I think it's the same as Terra Law. It was, it was showing a very nice linear upwards sloping TVL growth, but the economics caught up. So, and no one was, <laughs> no one was funding it anymore. And I think that was why. It, it, it was too big to fail, but it failed. For me, despite being the Cassandra saying this multiple times and like, I mean, having discussions with a lot of people and I stick to my ground, I still feel bad for a lot of the investors out there who got burned. Okay, I have friends who got burned and etc. Maybe I want to take a more silver lining approach. What does that now mean for the builders of the Terra chain? And also the exchanges. I will give, for example, Binance or some of the exchanges that, that actually list the coins. And then also the investors who, I think there are funds that got totally destroyed because of this. And so I think Galaxy Digital, uh, which is supposedly the Goldman Sachs of crypto, has basically a heavy position on that. What do you think the effect is going to be from here? We are only seeing the effects or like the fallout of this Terra chain now. Because this was just last week only. And I think this coming week or next coming few weeks, we're going to hear even more news about how big funds are that have high exposure into the, 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 the Terra chain. Institution funds actually, because they don't need to disclose, right? And they haven't disclosed anything yet. Like I wouldn't be surprised if the next couple of weeks, there'll be more news of people coming out, big funds coming out, or institution projects or saying that, hey, they, their exposure is actually quite high and then they need to relook into their fund and whatnot. And I think this is actually very, very bad across the whole Web3 space. And I feel like this whole thing sort of pushed the whole industry back by one year at least. This is how I really feel. And I think for the builders of the Terra chain, right? I think the good thing is that 
actually, if you look at Terra Chain and all the different protocols on Terra, right, their UI and UX is actually very, very nice. Very straightforward, very easy to use, very web tool. And there are a lot of great builders in that space. And I think they will now need to move on to other chains or maybe I'm also thinking, I'm also hearing that, hey, actually maybe now everyone will go back to building on ETH and maybe this will push the whole ETH 2.0 narrative, the layer 2 narrative coming back again. And I think that's something that might happen. Terra builders, I think it's actually very, very tough for them to come back like, because when they've raised funds, right, all their funds are in Luna, for example, and then the treasury might be in UST, which is worth nothing now. It's damn, it's damn bad for the whole ecosystem. So I wouldn't be surprised if Terra Builders, they just completely move to other chains right now. For exchanges, I don't think they're going to affect any exchanges, to be completely honest. Just, they're just a platform. Uh. They just they make a transaction fee and they're just printing money every single day. They, I don't think they, they have any fallout or whatever. I think should be fine. Investors, I want to mention, though, like, I mean, for me personally, my whole portfolio is kind of wrecked also. And I feel like along with a lot of people that I, I, I spoke to, we just need to rebuild our portfolio and learn about all these things and take away. And the last thing someone should do right now is actually give out on the space and we should learn and rebuild. Lot. Does that mean that moving forward now for investors and startups, even in the Web3 space and those that are unaffected by this, mm-hmm. you're going to see a downslide in valuation because there's still contagion coming from this whole event. We don't know how big the contagion is going to be. Yeah. I mean, Luna Terra is about 3 billion market cap, I think just got wiped out. And then obviously there are still other ecosystems intact. Yeah. So, so Luna as peak was 20 billion and was wiped out like that and dropped to like 200 million in market cap. It's ridiculous. The billions of dollars being wiped out. And I think for investors, I, I'm not an investor per se, but I will feel like I spoke to someone. He told me that he's actually preparing for like a 18 months bear market. I'm like, oh shit, that is very bad, right? And I think, yes, I would think valuation right now across the board would. I think this is not just because of Terra. Like, I think in the last six months, Bitcoin has been dropping for at least a 50% drawdown already. And I think we have been in a slow downward bear market for a while already. I think investors and funds, those who have uh, funds to deploy, they will have more leverage right now. Lo. And I think valuation will be suppressed a little bit more. Lo. And I wouldn't be surprised to not hear of any funding news over the next 6 to 12 months as we go lower and as we enter into accumulation zone. And I think that's also a good thing for protocols and projects out there. We, I think this is a good time to build as well to just deepen your team your product offering and then after that when the market come back again and it will and then we read all the benefits right so yeah just in case i think DeFi came out of the ashes of the crypto crash in 2018 and that was a really winter i think it's even worse than now i think i think it's equally worse if not worse yeah so i spoke to someone that in in the 2018 2019 right so i say so the luna crash how is it different from the 2018 he tell me it's actually quite similar because he'd been through it i i, I never been through it because i didn't understand he went through it and he said this is quite similar it reminds him of 2018 and i say is this the bottom already or not and he say mm, quite close to the bottom because like the lunar liquidation is as big as the ICO bust that time, right? And uh, stablecoin DPAC is a very, very big issue that will almost mark 
the bottom. He say if there's another event that will be Bitcoin liquidation already. He say if Bitcoin liquidation happens, that is almost certainly like near bottom kind of one already. So for me personally, I feel like there's slightly more pain that's coming because people haven't really internalized or comprehend the scale of the Luna because Luna was very involved in another chain which is AVEX as well and then other chains are all a bit all coming down right now FTM everything is crashing right now so and 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 I feel like there's even more like the last to fall is basically Bitcoin and Ether and well for that to happen I think the question is whether one of the other stable coins that's heavily packed to it is going to be there and the question mark everybody have and of course it, there was a trigger signal that happened was tethered right i mean if you think about that from a bigger context then there is a possibility on that but maybe we have yet to live through this and we're going to continue to talk about this but the, maybe the last question i have is do you think there will be regulation for stable coins now moving forward wow confirm confirm because this whole lunar implosion right this whole usd implosion right is giving the feds or the government around the world another additional pointer to say, see, you're the one who's to regulate. Look at what happened right now. It's a great case study for them to say like, we need regulation. And even right now, retailers who are burned, they are all saying, are asking regulators to come in as well. Police reports are lodged and then people are complaining. There are suicide notes. So regulation are just going to come in even harder right now because this scale is quite a massive scale yeah actually it had never happened in the history of crypto before like for a top 10 coin luna was top 10 to you know drop 99 in value in just one week never happened before so it's very very bad so Jackie many thanks on coming to the show uh, I think I'm also looking forward to the discussion later to hear what's going on I, I, I for one been watching it even though I'm not affected by it but as, as part of the community I'm also thinking a lot about what can be learned through this whole exercise itself so in closing I only have two questions for you my first question any recommendations that have inspired you recently this is the crypto space could be both it's gonna, could be something else not in the crypto space Wow. So I think in the crypto space right now, I'm actually looking at, uh, like what I mentioned just now, right? Could this be a move from all builders and DeFi maxis, all move back to DeFi, DeFi 1.0 stuff, move, all move back to ETH chain layer 2? I think the narrative is getting traction. That's something that I'm looking at right now. But I'm not too sure whether we're at the bottom. To be completely honest, I don't think we're at the bottom yet because macro is very bad. What inspired me, I think... I'm looking mostly at the layer two space, if for one thing, right? Because before this, I couldn't understand why do people, the long-time participant, right? They say Bitcoin and if is king. I couldn't understand. I'm like, wow, the risk reward for other chains are much higher. Now I understood it, right? So I think that's something that inspired me. I think that's one. I think second is that for a while, I've been in my own echo chamber as well. And I think equities market, maybe there are a lot of opportunities there as well because actually a lot of stuff is very oversold as well. If I could be completely upfront with you, right, my whole portfolio, 90% skewed towards crypto. I'm, I'm that bullish. So I think right now I'm like, okay, this is like a very good wake-up call and I'm looking into the other equity market as well. Uh, I think that's the second thing. The third thing, NFT market. NFT to me uh, is actually 
a levered play on ETH, if you think about it. So if you're bullish on Ethereum, right, you should actually buy all the blue chips, uh, blue chip NFT. So the way I look at my NFT portfolio, right, is that it's a, it's a levered play on Ethereum. If I trust that Ethereum is going to be 5K, 10K next time, uh, and BAYC is the blue chip, uh, I should go and buy BAYC right now. And when ETH go back up, and then NFT will be here to stay. Lah. And then my returns will be uh, compounded because both sides, right? And I think that's something I've been, I mean, I, I, I've been treating it as, as such for a while already, but I think recently there are, there are great opportunities. Even in the next couple of weeks and months, right? If NFT market do crash, right? That's something that I will be looking at as well. Yeah. That's a very good, interesting set of recommendations. <laughs> yeah. But last question, how can my audience find you? Find me on Chain Debrief. I can find my Jackie Yap, double Y, double P. Um, I mostly do join our community on Chain Debrief. You know, I'm always there. Lah. Yeah. So that's and that. You have a Twitter account too, right, Jackie? Yep. Yes, I have a Twitter account. And yeah, you can find me on Twitter. Okay. You can definitely find all of us in all this podcast platform. And rest assured, the podcast is still going on. And as well, of course, feed me feedback and etc. Jackie, many thanks for coming on this time to have this conversation. And I really thank you for sharing some of your thoughts. Yeah, thank you. Run it, run it, run it.